If I should have a daughter, instead of mom, she's going to call me point B. Because that way she knows that no matter what happens, at least she can always find her way to me. And I'm going to paint the solar systems on the backs of her hands. So she has to learn the entire universe before she can say, oh, I know that like the back of my hand. And she's going to learn that this life will hit you hard in the face, wait for you to get back up just so it can kick you in the stomach. But getting the wind knocked out of you is the only way to remind your lungs how much they like the taste of air. There is hurt here that cannot be fixed by band-aids or poetry. So the first time she realizes that Wonder Woman isn't coming, I'll make sure she knows she doesn't have to wear the cape all by herself. Because no matter how wide you stretch your fingers, your hands will always be too small to catch all the pain you want to heal. Believe me, I've tried. And baby, I'll tell her, don't keep your nose up in the air like that. I know that trick. I've done it a million times. You're just smelling for smoke. So you can follow the trail back to a burning house so you can find the boy who lost everything in the fire to see if you can save him. Or else find the boy who lit the fire in the first place to see if you can change him. But I know she will anyway. So instead, I'll always keep an extra supply of chocolate and rain boots nearby because there is no heartbreak that chocolate can't fix. Okay, there's a few heartbreaks that chocolate can't fix, but that's what the rain boots are for, because rain will wash away everything if you let it. I want her to look at the world through the underside of a glass-bottom boat, to look through a microscope at the galaxies that exist on the pinpoint of a human mind, because that's the way my mom taught me, that there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, my mama said. When you open your hands to catch, I'll wind up with only blisters and bruises. When you step out of the phone booth and try to fly, and the very people you want to save are the ones standing on your cape. When your boots will fill with rain and you'll be up to your knees in disappointment, and those are the very days you have all the more reason to say thank you. Because there's nothing more beautiful than the way the ocean refuses to stop kissing the shoreline, no matter how many times it's sent away. You will put the wind in winsome lose some. You will put the star in starting over and over. And no matter how many landmines erupt in a minute, be sure your mind lands on the beauty of this funny place called life. And yes, on a scale from one to over-trusting, I am pretty damn naive. But I want her to know that this world is made out of sugar. It can crumble so easily, but don't be afraid to stick your tongue out and taste it. Baby, I'll tell her, remember your mama is a worrier and your papa is a warrior and you are the girl with small hands and big eyes who never stops asking for more. Remember that good things come in threes and so do bad things and always apologize when you've done something wrong, but don't you ever apologize for the way your eyes refuse to stop shining. Your voice is small, but don't ever stop singing. And when they finally hand you heartache, when they slip war and hatred under your door and offer you handouts on street corners of cynicism and defeat, you tell them that they really ought to meet your mother. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Mate Sessions on cliffcentral.com. Today, we have a return guest in studio. Uh, her name is Lerato, and she's one of my very, very best friends. We brought her in on the third ever episode of The Maid Sessions to talk about her fascinating life as a common but very complex South African phenomenon. Lerato's mom was a domestic worker, 
Unfortunately, when both Lorato's parents passed away, when she was just 10, she was adopted by her mom's white employers. Since then, Lorato's life has taken many interesting twists and turns, which have seen her overcome a roller coaster identity crisis to become the phenomenal woman that she is today. For more on her amazing backstory, please do go and listen to that podcast. It's our third ever episode of Med Sessions from um, 2016. But for now, hi, friend. How are you? Hi, my darling. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So I'm going to dive right in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we all know how domestic work has been passed down for generations of African womanhood. In your case, as in many others, the cycle has stopped with you. However, whilst you yourself are not a domestic worker, like many South African women whose parents or grandparents were domestic workers, including myself, the legacy runs in our blood and it will continue to impact who we are and who we raise our children to be for generations to come. So, friend, having spoken about you and your mom at length in our last interview today, I'd like to take it a generation further. I'd like to get a sense from you of um, how domestic work as a legacy has impacted the way you plan to raise your own children. Now, I know you're not a parent yet, but I know it's also something that you think about a lot. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and I just want you to say what comes to mind. Okay. Okay. So, firstly, what would you tell your children about class? I'm not sure. It's something that I would be particularly forthcoming about. Mm. But when answering questions, um, I don't want my children to see the man on the street taking a taxi as any less than they are right? because they are able to get in a car. Mm. Um, I don't want them to think of themselves as any better than anyone who's in a, in a more unfortunate socioeconomic situation mm. because I have seen people who come from buckets of money and are not good people and right. they might wear the best clothes. They might, drive the best cars, they might have gone to the best schools, but in their hearts and in their souls, they don't have the richness that a person without the material things might have. And I've seen that time and time again. I've Mm. seen it, you know, in some of my helpers who've been absolutely wonderful or people that I I engage with that don't come from a lot of money and are really wonderful people Mm. and I think I've made the mistake in my youth of of using money and material value as a gauge right. in terms of the kind of person I'm engaging uh-huh. with, what I want to be even. And for a long time, what I wanted to be had a lot to do with money and class and that kind of thing. And I realize now that it's so much more than that. So, I mean, it's interesting what we've done with class because um, we've defined it in terms of money. Absolutely. But then we use it to describe a level of sophistication. And the two don't necessarily go hand in hand, yeah. right? And yeah. that's what you're saying is that yeah. you've met a lot of people who have bucket loads of money, but you wouldn't necessarily identify 
identify as, as people with a sophisticated character or sophisticated soul, soul or mind, you know, or any, yeah. any number of things. Yeah. Um, so when you, let me ask you this question. When somebody says to you, when you think somebody of a, a higher class, what do you automatically think apart from them having lots of money? I think of them having a lot of humility. Mm. I think of them being humble, being relatable, being empathic. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. And it's so weird because, like, I guess, you know, our common understanding of class is, is very different. Our mutual understanding of class as people yeah, is yeah. very is very different. We assume it's the same, um, but it it really depends on your values, doesn't it? So what you're saying speaks to things that you value in a human being. Yeah. So I'll tell you this: going back to the podcast we did last year, like you said, my mother was a domestic worker, so money was not something that we had. Mm. I mean, we got by fine. She she did absolutely everything to give me, you know, a wonderful, wonderful life, even though there were struggles. But she is by far the classiest woman right. that I have ever known. Mm. And granted, I only knew her until I was 10 years old. But something about the way she carried herself, something about her nature, mm. something about her compassion was was just phenomenal. Make no mistake, that lady used to smack me. Mm. Make no mistake, mm. you know. She she grounded me very intensely and and disciplined me. But there's a manner in which she engaged with every single person that had the same level of respect mm. and it really didn't matter who she was talking to, if it was a person on the street or whoever it was. She just was overflowing with, with kindness and generosity and respect, like I said. And it's fascinating the other things that money don't buy you either because they def- definitely don't buy you those qualities, those character traits, right? Yeah. But they also, I think we think money buys you taste, for instance, and money buys you intelligence, right? Mm-hmm, Which are mm-hmm. things that I think might kind of broadly be associated to people of a higher class. Yes. And it's not necessarily the case. I mean, I I think you're right. It's not necessarily the case. But I don't think that money necessarily detracts from someone's ability to have class, right? Ah. So I think what we're doing right now is we're saying people can have money but no class. But it's important to to realize that People who do have money most certainly can have class, but people who do have money don't automatically have class. Right. So what you would tell them is that money and class are things that should be defined separately. Completely. And that class may be something that should be defined for oneself. I don't even know if I'd want to introduce them to the term class because of the way that it's so, the way that it's used in society. I don't want my children growing up thinking, this is a person of this class or this caliber mm, or anything like that. I want them to to value very fundamental things about people. Right. Yes, you can like that your friend Rachel has nice Barbies when you go and play at her house. But make no mistake, that doesn't necessarily define who Rachel is as a person. And, and the friends you make must be people that are good to you, people I that agree. are kind to you, people that make you feel loved and special and as much as I don't have my own kids, my neighbor's kids 
for some reason like to hang out with me quite a bit. And, you know, this is something that I said to them because the other kids kind of in the neighborhood aren't particularly nice to them. And I said to them, you know, I don't want you spending time with people who don't make you feel nice. Mm -hmm. I don't want you having to feel like you're on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I wasn't quite this eloquent because they're children. (laughs) But I said to them, you know, if someone makes you feel sad... You don't have to spend time with them. Right. You know, because I watch these kids bully these kids. Not bully, bully. I mean, no one was hurt or anything, but they're just constantly on the outskirts, you know. But don't you also find the other thing about bullying and about class and the way that kids treat each other or condescend to one another is something that they inherit from their parents. So another thing is this idea that you inherit a class or way of being or an entitlement to something from from your parents, from who they are. Which isn't necessarily the case. Yeah, so I think the difficult thing with parenting is, yes, absolutely, your children are exposed to your language when you're in the car and shouting at a taxi driver and whatever it is that you're doing. And those small things they do pick up, which I do think very much speak to the manner in which they then behave. But unfortunately, I think as parents, you know, there's only so much influence you can have Mm. because when they do get to school and they befriend kids of a different class or the same class or whatever it is, that is going to speak more to how they grow up. I think, unfortunately, than than the fundamental values we want to bring at home. And the thing is going, which can be a good thing, mind you can be a wonderful thing, but going back to the money thing, if I, happen to make a success of myself and do happen to have a lot of money, I'm going to send my child to a good school. I do that in inverted commas. And by good, I mean probably a private school Mm. because I have the money and I know that the education that comes from a private school is outstanding. Not that government school education is not good, but I do know that private school education is outstanding. But what that does mean is that my child is going to be exposed to a lot of children who come from a lot of money mm. who may not have been taught the same values that I teach my child, mm. Mm. which means that without excluding them or without making them on, you know, the periphery of, of their peers, I, I want to maintain the values and yeah. the interpretation of class or yeah. caliber or whatever it is that that stems from home and that stems from me. Having said that, though, I am not right all the time. Sure. And so I need them very much so to be exposed to other things because if I was perfect, you know, things would fall over but around me. They also aren't necessarily right or absolved in any way because you are. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's what I've seen with a lot of kids. And yeah. it comes from a young age. If their parents are respected, in the community for whatever reason, if their parents are intelligent, if their parents have done well for themselves, they automatically feel like they inherit that yes, and absolutely. they don't have to earn it. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that that's something that's earned. And I like that you've introduced values rather than class, because I actually think I would agree with you. I think class in and of itself is, is problematic because inherently it's condescending. It means absolutely. that somebody else is less than. Exactly. Um, but rather to compare values. Mm. You know, and not mm. to say someone's are inferior to yours, no, but rather to say different. choose yours yeah. and then try and surround yourself with people exactly. who compliment yours. Exactly. Okay, I absolutely love that. And that kind of, um, you've spoken about money a little bit, but my next question was, what would you tell your children about money? 
honestly, yeah, it's mine. It's not yours. <laughs> honestly, make no mistake. This is money that mommy has worked very, very hard for. And I buy you nice things because I love you and because I can. But just because I'm able to, I don't know, our helper's daughter or somebody else's child that doesn't have that money is no different to you. Right. And that is the most fundamental thing. I think children grow up thinking that their parents' money automatically belongs to them. Make no mistake. Sure. It is not your money. Sure. You will grow up one day. Mm. Maybe you'll make some money. Maybe you won't make that much money. But the money that you're raised with Mm. right now Mm. is mine. I choose to buy you nice things. I choose to spoil you sometimes. And that for me is incredibly important. What are you, that's interesting. Cause uh, then something to contemplate is, um, what are you going to do with your will? What are you going to do with the money that you leave behind? I think, I think, I mean, I'll definitely leave some of it to my children, but I really hope that I'm able to raise the kind of children who then won't squander it, Mm. who will pay it forward in some way or another, you know. Obviously, if my child is a a struggling artist and the money I leave them is really going to help them buy their first house or whatever, that's okay. Mm. But I would like to hope that with not necessarily directly, but in some way or another, they, they make a decent impact on the world, whether or not it's from the money that I leave them. Right. But I will absolutely leave them some money because I also don't want my children to struggle. Sure. Yes, it's my money, sure. but I also don't want my children to no, struggle. And I mean, that is part of kind of breaking generational poverty. We have to, you know, we have to pass it down somehow, absolutely. but I think it's a question of how. Yeah. Um, and I think there's ways to do it where it's not just, you know, a free lunch. So, okay, that's pretty cool. The other thing that is interesting is obviously you don't know when that will is going to have to come into hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I would amend it Mm. over time Mm. based on how much my kids already have, based on how much they need, based on how old they are. I mean, if they're very young, then obviously the guardians will then have that money to be able to raise my children. But I mean, if my child is a 34-year-old attorney somewhere, I, she does not need that money, you know? Right. So so that is a conversation that I think we can have together. Mm. Um, she might have things that she would like to do, dreams that she might have, things she wants to invest in, mm. you know? And if my money can help her at that stage, then my money can help her. But I, I don't think it's just going to be like, bam, mommy died, you get X amount of money, mm. you know? Okay. And then... What are you going to tell them about money and power? Oh, really? Both or either or? So power, you can... I know. I just, I wish... These questions that you're asking me, I just wish these aren't conversations we had to have with our kids. Right. You know? Right. I really wish desperately. I know, it's true. I didn't have to say to my kid... I want to tell you that power comes from being a good person and mm. working hard and earning respect, but it actually doesn't. Like sure. there's a lot of power that does come from money sure. because with money, you can buy many things with money. You can, I mean, I don't want to say you can buy people, but yeah. there's so, so much the that biggie, can right? be done with money that it automatically gives power. And I think perhaps it's a distinction that I need to make between my children 
mm-hmm. in terms of money, power, and respect. Okay. So Explain that. For me, power doesn't necessarily equate respect. I think more power comes from money than than respect, let's say. And for me, respect is a lot more important. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and then how about lifestyle? What aspect of lifestyle? I know it's quite a broad question. Um, but you know how attached we get, I guess, to a way of living and the kind of lifestyle, for instance, you associate to having made it in life and to being happy. So what I will tell you is that I don't want my children to go without. Yeah. Um, and what I will say, having lived a slightly more, I don't want to call it impoverished, that's a bit dramatic, but. But different having, lives. Have, having lived the two different lives that yes. I have lived, I will tell you that I prefer Woolworths food. It's nice. It's yummy. Sure. <laughs> and I prefer, I would want my kids to be safe, so I prefer to drive a car with airbags. You know, uh, there's certain things that are what I think a lot of people would say bougie yeah. that I would prefer. Sure. And, and this comes from having lived both lives. Mm. The difference is though, I don't think I want that lifestyle, the fact that we walk past checkers to go to Willie's to get that food to, to make them think that they're better than anyone. Like I said, I keep reiterating this, but it's difficult to entrench in children because it's very difficult for them to understand that. Yeah. And even myself, I think five years ago, I wouldn't thought like this at all. But I will say that I do prefer a lifestyle that money can buy and the efficiency that comes from that. You see, that's incredibly honest because I don't think a lot of people would give that answer necessarily. People who are trying to be noble. You know what I mean? Because we want to say things like it doesn't matter. I right? really, yeah. And fundamentally, it really doesn't. But it ma- doesn't. But, but I like nice things. Yeah. I do. I like the efficiency of flying a better airline sure. than the weight and two buses you have to take to get to the airplane. Like, mm. I'm not even joking. Mm. These sound like so pathetic. Mm. But the efficiency that comes with being able to buy something a little more expensive or drive a car that goes a little bit faster or and it is, living, efficiency. In, living in an area. It is. It just makes happiness easier. It makes exactly. You know, absolutely. like it, it, it frees up your, your time, your exactly. energy. You can't lie that you don't prefer driving your, I don't know, X5 mm. to work rather than a person who has to take a taxi to town from town to somewhere else and then walk the distance to get to that other place. That takes or, two, three although hours. Although a lot in of the people, morning. and I think for a lot of people, minimalism or living without is, you know, it's like a novelty. It's, it's experimental. You know, you get a lot of rich kids, for instance, who backpack, um, and will sleep in the felt with, I don't know, one blanket and like will eat baked beans uh, on a gap year, maybe or something. Um, but I think the, the operative thing here is choice. Because yeah. I've often found a lot of those very same kids who yeah. you'll meet and who seem at face value to be living on what's in their backpack mm. actually have the money choice. in the bank. Yeah. 
they've got the choice of going home to a beautiful bath and a warm cooked meal, I think. And that the word choice is such a big, it's such a big thing. Um, because, you know, I don't know many people that would choose to take taxis to work and wake up at 4 a.m. as opposed to 7 a.m. Sure. To get to an eight o'clock job. Right. I don't know a lot of people that, you know, would choose things that are more more difficult but are more minimalistic. I don't know a lot of people that would do Unless that. Unless you are on Survivor or The Amazing Race, but there's a reason why. You and know, the thing and is, is you becomes... can always come back. I don't know a lot of people that would choose it forever. Mm. So the gap here, absolutely, I agree with you. You know, experience a different life, experience something more minimalistic, wonderful. Mm. But I don't know a lot of people that would choose that forever. I think if you said to someone that was raised in privilege, go to... You know, uh, shanty town. I hate the fact that I use this term, but go to a township and live there, take taxis to work, buy your cabbage and your onions and your butternut uncut. And ha- like those are small things, but so important. Yeah. You know, and it, it seems I probably sound like such a brat, but like when you get your your pre-cut butternut and your salad mix that's already in a bag that you just drop. Those small things make life easier because it means that you don't have to come home after an eight to five job, Mm. chop vegetables to make sure that your kids get fed at a certain time while washing your kids. I mean, if you can pop something in the microwave or pop something in the oven or Anything to make life just a little bit easier, to give you a little bit more quality time to do the things that you want to do. Yeah. You would choose that. I mean, I assume so. Unless you're on an exchange program in Malawi. But I think what we've done a lot is we've romanticized um, minimalism, as it were. And we'll call it minimal. You know, none will say they're experimenting with poverty. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We won't call it that because that's that's. That's disgusting, yeah. <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll have like a lot of these reality TV shows. I look at the likes of like the survivors, you know, and a lot of the stuff they come up with in America where they'll have like, I don't know, parasols and go and like clean toilets or whatever. Um, for some kind of enlightenment. Um, and it's things that we've, we've romanticized and almost becomes a, a privilege to be able to, to dabble in those things. Okay. But I want to ask you. Do you think that any enlightenment can come from something that is not a need? Do you think that going and cleaning toilets for a year can make you enlightened if you know that you're going to come back home and never have to clean toilets again? I don't think it can make Surely what you want to do is you want to be in the shoes of the man who has to clean toilets Mm. every day. Mm. He does not have a choice. His kids have to go to school. His kids have to eat. I don't see... Honestly, I don't see how coming from wealth and knowing that you can go, not even wealth, let's call it comfort. Mm. Coming from comfort, going somewhere for a year, knowing that you can always go back to that comfort. Do you really live in the shoes of the person who has no choice? Sure. And I think you you raise a really good point because I think a lot of people will really, like, will take that six months off or that one year off. And it's not to say that they mustn't. Make no mistake. They absolutely must. And I think there's levels to it, right? So I think that thing can provide you with perspective. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, t- and the perspective, it, it kind of wears off over time. It's temporary. So if you can do things to, you know, to sustain it, um, it's, it's preferable for mm. you not just to go 
once off and once then, off and then yeah. you know yeah. live your life after that mm-hmm. so i understand parents who have maybe a lot of money um whose kids have lived in comfort forever who want to give their children those experiences you know whether it's their relatives in yeah you know, in, in poor areas or whether mm. it's like that gap year in, in, in India or whatever, yeah. just to give yeah. them perspective on what they have. But I don't, I think enlightenment comes from truly, truly wearing those shoes. And I think an enlightened answer, funny enough, ironically, is what you've just given. Like it's not you prefer any day to have things at your disposal that Absolutely. makes your life easier. That is an enlightened answer. And I'm going to... Completely, completely expose myself here, but I go at least once a year to my family in Limpopo, mm. and I'm not talking BNB in Polokwane. I'm talking very, very rural Limpopo, long drop, slaughtering goats and chickens for festivities, no running water, and and I take the things that I like. That makes things easier for me. Yeah. I do. No, we all do. The things that, the things that are more comfortable for me, you know, a more comfortable pillow or, you know, um, easier food or, you know, those kinds of things. But it's not excessive. You're not going to fly a helicopter and build a, like a landing pad in the middle of your grandmother's village. You know what? I actually have dreams of building a a beautiful, beautiful, Not not a land, no. I have dreams of building oh a beautiful God. house, though, Yes. with things like running water. Sure. And electricity. No, but that's not excessive. But, what, what, what's who's to say that's not excessive? Because I would say that's pretty excessive compared to the way people live there. Relatively. By virtue of the fact that I bring my computer so I can watch series, because the TV with the bunny-eared aerial just is too crackly. But I also th- I think that your idea of lifestyle... And the things that you prefer is very much linked to comfort and ease rather than stasis. Yeah. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference. Fair enough. And I think that's what makes it enlightened because you've had a bit of both. You've experienced having and you've experienced not having a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, 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 it's maybe a slightly more balanced perspective and a more enlightened yeah. perspective in that sense. I think the other thing is that it's not exclusive to me. Yeah. I don't take those things for me. Yeah. Like I want my grand to realize that this pillow is actually so much more comfortable mm. and we can watch movies on the screen that is so much more, not that she wants to because she's doing her own thing in any case, but you know, anything to make things a bit easier. Mm. Um, for me and for those around me, not that they want to actually, because they're very happy with their lifestyle. They're very, they're very happy in what they know and how they do things. But, um, I'm not going there as bougie, bougie lerato, you know, yeah. um, with all these perfect things for myself and by myself. It's just, let's cook noodles. It's actually quite a lot easier and quicker because but we don't. You're very lucky, friend. To have worn both shoes. Because now I'm thinking about if you take um, a kid from that community, right, in Limpopo, and you put them on a gap year in Santon and then bring them back, right, they won't necessarily have an enlightened perspective as well. What they might take out of this life is that certain things make you better. 
you know, yeah. and there might be more kind of status elements. Like if I had this, if I had that, if I, had, you know, and I could show off and people would like me more. And yeah. And they don't even have to have to take that gap year. I mean, I see it a lot when I go to Limpopo, like, and not even just me, just generally people from Johannesburg, you know, people that, for example, arrive in a car or people that are from Johannesburg, it's automatically like your life is better. You have more, you're, you're better off. You're, you're a better person. Yeah. And, I mean, how how do you tell that to people? How do you say, I might have all of these things, right? but it most certainly does not make me a better person? But it's funny, though, because they, they also will come and visit you maybe for a while or see a snapshot of your life. Maybe when you come and visit and you bring certain things or maybe they look in the magazines and they can see what life is like yeah. in Joburg yeah. and how they imagine it to be. Mm. And they'll expect that, like, you are this, like, infinite stream of resources and abundance infinite. infinite you know and happiness yeah and that there is like that you're completely invincible and there's nothing that you you can't do which is really not the case no so it does it it, it takes a bit of both and i think you're lucky in that sense because i think you get both that's very cool i hope you pass that on to your kids somehow uh, I think you're you're incredibly flattering. <laughs> no, I'm not though. But thing. Um, <laughs> I'll 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 do what I can. I will. Okay, cool. Um, what will you tell your children about identity? Ooh, that's 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 touchy. Um, I'll probably send them to a shrink. <laughs> No, truly, because I've struggled with my own identity for such a long time. And I still, that struggle is still not over for me. I mean, let's not call it a struggle, actually. It's been, it's been incredibly interesting. But that time of discovering who I am, it's, it's not over yet. I still have absolutely no clue who I am. And so I think what I will say to them is, you don't need to be in a hurry to define who you are. You don't need to be able to write your identity on a piece of paper using 10 adjectives. It right. is something you can explore constantly. Mm. You can dabble in this and dabble in that, and none of them have to take away from who you are as a person. But you, there's so much pressure on saying, I'm this kind of person from this kind of life with this kind of identity. But the yeah. thing is, I, it's just... Maybe it's just because for me, it's just been so fluid. It's been a little bit of cooking pap with mahoru the one night and then making potato bake and salmon the other night, you yeah. know? It's just, it, it, it's, and, and so many people, they don't judge me for it. They just really don't understand it. Yeah. Like one minute I'm talking the way that I'm talking on my iPhone. You know, eating my sushi with chopsticks and then the very next day I'm eating a kotta with my hands on the streets, you mm. know. So a lot of people just don't get it. And I think the most important, and that's, that's made me feel out of sorts, you know, like I don't exactly fit in here, but I don't exactly fit in there. And, and that's been a very challenging part of my life. So I think what liberating I would, it all though. It's getting there. Okay. As I, as I, as I'm growing and as, as I'm becoming more comfortable in my own skin, it's liberating, but it has been difficult. So I think the most important thing that I'd say to my kids is you do not have to be defined by any one thing. You yeah. do not have to put yourself in any box. Yeah. In fact, 
try, try not to be in a box at all. And don't let what people expect you to be define who you essentially become. Yeah. Because I do think even beyond money, what people really aspire to is an idea of an identity. And they really do. And I think, I think so many people live life in a certain direction to become a certain way, having achieved certain things, you know. So there's a certain route that people take, a certain road that people walk to get to a certain point. Mm. And I think in doing so, we lose a lot of what happens along the way. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be wrong to enjoy things from completely different worlds. Yeah. You're allowed to. You're allowed to like Mkomboti and then also have Sky Vodka. That's not that's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to, you know, take wet wipes to Limpopo, but yeah. you know, you know, you're allowed to still do what <laughs> and still squat. Exactly. Yeah. You're allowed to do all of those things without having to be one particular thing. Mm. And you know, if, if a person does want to be one particular thing, that's also fine. That's okay. It's just, it's so far from my reality mm. to even conceive of any shaped geometrical thing that I could fit into. Yeah. Not a box, not a circle. There is nothing that can contain me, who I am, and the many experiences that are yet to come. So this really interests me. Would you tell them anything about being black? I mean, there are certain things like super, super, super stereotypes, like I want them to be able to dance. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um... Like what it means. Do you feel like it, it comes with a responsibility? Do you think it comes with a set of values? Do you think it comes with anything? Awareness, maybe. I don't think that should be limited to a race. Hmm. Or I think every person should be aware. I think every person should want to pay it forward. I think every person Charity needs to start at home. I think every person needs to be aware that, you know, there are people in this world, whether or not they're the same color as you, that don't have as much as you have. I don't think that's a race-specific thing. Would you tell them anything about um, the legacy, the historical legacy and the disadvantage of being black? I think that's incredibly important to know. Okay. Um. I like to think that my kids, I, I think it's important. No, but the thing is, it's not, it's not, it's not our thing. It's not our story. It's the universe's story. It's the world's story, right. you know? And, and what the most important thing that I would tell them is that times were hard for people, for slaves, for people in apartheid. Times were very difficult. But you are lucky enough to be born in a time where you don't have to experience those things. Yes, sometimes there's black tax. I'll never tell them about black tax. <laughs> but if they, I'll never tell them. No. I don't want them to live yeah, their lives sure. waiting for black tax. <laughs> but if they come and they ask me and they're like, you know what, mom, today I was in a meeting at work and they might be the boss, but they were treated like maybe they'd be the secretary or something because yeah. these things happen. We know that these things happen. It's a reality. Yeah. I'm never going to be forthcoming about that and say, my child, there might come a time one day. No, if they experience that, 
obviously we hope that they never do, but we know that they probably will. If they experience that, I want them to come and ask me and I'll give them a very honest answer. But in terms of the legacy of being black, in terms of the historic, I don't think I can have an enlightened and smart and aware child without them knowing that. Yeah. Whether all of... But they don't need to feel All of it. the minorities, exactly. They don't need to feel it. But I think it's important for them to be aware mm. of, of minorities and being the underdog. But I, they don't, they don't have to feel it. I think they, they might feel it in the world, but they most certainly mustn't feel it at home. Yeah. And when they do feel it and they have questions for me, those are questions that I will answer. So, I mean, the funny thing about me, and I genuinely mean this and no one, I don't think anyone believes me, right? As aware as I am, of historically what it means to be black. I am very seldom aware of my race when I interact with people. Mm. You know, and it often takes somebody who was with me to point out that might have happened because, because oh, you were black. Okay. And then I go, oh, are you sure? You know what I mean? Because there's yeah. something in me and I don't know how. I really don't know how. I can't say it's by design. Um, that I, I really can't point to what it is about my upbringing. It's, I mean, it, it, we are lucky though in our upbringing, being surrounded by people of all sorts of races and being multiracial group of friends and everything that we kind of forget sometimes. Dude, we're kind of like, okay, I, I, I literally forgot about that, dude. And um, I can't tell whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but my hunch has always said to me that it's a good thing. I would prefer for my children to think maybe it was because of their clothes rather yeah, than their race. Exactly. I would prefer that. Exactly. So in my eyes it's a good thing. I don't want them to I don't want them to carry it like a gigantic monkey on their shoulder that this thing is gonna people are gonna notice it all the time and people are gonna and maybe this sounds naive. In no, fact sure. to a lot of people it probably it, sounds it probably ridiculously does. naive. But we're not saying no, but what I'm saying is that like it is important to know in your head. Yes. That these things exist yes. and not to yes. deny them yes. from that point of view. But certainly feeling them on a daily basis when you go out into the world and you aspire and you interact with people. Yes. Um, I, I would feel very, very self-conscious, very limited. I would, I would constantly second guess everything. It would be very bad for me personally. But that doesn't, you know, and it's not, it's, it's not being black. It's not feeling black. You know, there's so much that's amazing about being yeah. black, obviously. Yeah. But if I had those limitations, the historical limitations in mind, mm. um, I think that I would, I would struggle. I mean, I don't think there's, there's a need for it to like taint your interactions, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that's where it becomes a bit difficult, where people are sometimes a little bit more defensive mm. or whatever it is, because, you know, because they have experienced you know, unfortunate situations by virtue of the fact that they're black. But I think the other difficult thing that I'm aware of is, is, is having a daughter. Um, and you know, in history, they always talk about the triple yoke of oppression, which yeah. I, I hope that my daughter won't experience, but being black and being female, that mm. combination, as much as you want to deny it, does make things a little bit harder. Mm. And yes, there are so many doors that have opened up. There are so many opportunities, you know, and there are so many people who don't think that way. But in my time, I have most certainly experienced 
I don't even want to call it necessarily a negative response, but maybe I've been underestimated or maybe it's been assumed that I'm a certain position. Mm. I don't know how many times I've been asked if I work at a store, like <laughs> there is no identifying thing on my body that says I work in the store. Like so wh- why? <laughs> why? Why? And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's because I'm black or if that's literally just a mistake. Yeah. Um, I know that I myself have done it once or twice. Mm. Granted, it was because a person was dressed a certain way. <laughs> and when I say a certain way, I mean like all black or whatever. So from yeah. the back, it looks like uniform. Anyway, so now I know to tap people on the shoulder, ask very nicely, even if I see a name badge, do you work here? Can you help me? So, um, yeah. Yeah, no. And it's, uh, I think it's, you know, with with doing the meditations, with kind of grappling with the legacy of domestic work and the impact it's had and um, all of the value as well that's in this space, you know, and having never been a domestic worker myself, my gran was a domestic worker. There's a big part of me that's had to kind of channel um, from, I don't know, genetic memory, what it, it, it feels like to be in that position to you know to try and, and find a way to 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 empathize mm. um and to to relate mm. which i think is crucial because i think that there does need to be an element of of feeling but yeah. if i think about you know i think sometimes to as much as the empathy and the very kind of connected awareness is important there is a point to which it, it does become debilitating and, and limiting. And I remember yeah. when I was, I was, um, kind of grappling with the, the stigma of being an au pair when I was, mm. you know, given mm. that our friends, uh, were graduates and, you know, they yeah. were lawyers and doctors yeah. and auditors. And then leading this, this process where we have these, these women now who we're working with in order to improve their lives and the lives of their children. Um, I think being somebody who felt like I was too close to their position also made me second guess whether I could, I could promise them anything, right? As an au pair. Mm. Um, I could promise them a way out of domestic work mm. as an au pair. Mm. Uh, and so I just, it's, it's, it's so tricky. It's like something that I struggle with, like, you know, you need to empathize to the point that you're able to feel somebody's position enough to to be able to relate to them and 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 do something positive, yeah. but not to allow it to completely make mm. you apathetic. Mm. I think it's I think it's difficult, mm. um, and I think it's something that I've struggled with as well. Um, being the black child in a white household with a black helper, like, you know, there, there, there has to be some sort of common identity, but also there mm. was, there was a complete lack of, I mean, not always, but there was, I mean, there was just something different, something that was like very tangible and different. And I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. Yeah. And, um, I think a lot of times I kind of, I didn't toe the line very nicely, you know, like, sure, let's share clothes and be <laughs> homies, you know, but I, I don't know. I think, I think the most important thing for me, uh, 
being young, being black, being female, is that I don't want the people in my life who perform any sort of service for me to feel like I'm any better than them. Yeah. And I think this goes back to the conversation that we had at the very beginning. Mm. Um, uh, as much as, yes, there's there's also a certain line, though, where I am the boss and there are certain needs, there are certain requirements that I have that need to be met. But also, I'm by no stretch of the imagination better than my helper. She's sure. a wonderful person. She's kind. She's good. She sent me such a beautiful Happy Women's Day message. And that's something that's really important for me is to have a relationship with her Um and and for us to be only different in the fact that I'm paying your salary, but not different as people. Sure. And that's quite a difficult line to try and toe. Mm. Um, but I think the other thing in terms of you giving domestic workers, you know, a better future for their children. I think that there are a lot of employers that are so good to domestic workers. And I think, you know, a large part of why... I'm not a domestic worker today over and above my mother's aspiration of me not being a domestic worker is that her employers were so good to her. Mm. They were so kind to her. They were so kind to me. Mm. I was a part of the family. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel particularly different. I was included in everything. And I think that if more people could be that way mm. and if more people could be inclusive, in their lives of the people who work with them, I think that that would go, that would go a long way. And I know a lot of people that are wonderful to their helpers, wonderful to their domestic workers, you know? Mm. Um, But like I said, I do think it is a bit of a difficult line to tell. Tricky stuff, man. Tricky stuff. Okay. Speaking of women's day, you know, I forgot. And this is, yeah, <laughs> I literally forgot. Um, somebody told me this morning, I think I was making a dentist appointment and then somebody was like, oh, it's Women's Day tomorrow. So, you know, the dentist isn't here. I was like, oh, flip. Um, but I've definitely gotten to that point. Uh, but this is because the other thing I don't have, I seldom have an awareness of is my gender. Um, not always, but sometimes I know that I don't. So the question that I have for you is, what would you tell your girl children about being girl children? I would say don't be anything like your mommy. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because in a lot of situations, it's my power. As much as it's my weakness in a lot of situations, it's also my power. And I think that comes from a place of defensiveness, from knowing that I am physically weaker. Mm. And um, obviously seeing and hearing, you know, situations in which, you know, women are taken advantage of. So in a lot of situations, it, it becomes my power. And I don't want gender, like I don't want race to ever be a thing that can be used by my children. Yes, the society, because, you know, sometimes it's rotten, but I don't want my children to ever have to feel like they need to rely on their gender or they need to rely on their race in order to 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 achieve some sort of power or achieve some sort of upper hand Mm. and and obviously I won't quite tell them about my conduct (laughs) because they don't need to know that but 
um, yeah, that is the most important thing. I don't want them to ever have to, I don't want it to ever be something that can be used against them mm. or something that they can use against somebody else. Um, and what will you tell your boys' children about being boy children? No, let me rephrase that question because you don't know anything about being a boy child. What will you tell? What will you tell your girl children about boy children? The same thing I'll tell them about other girl children. To be honest with you, because I I might have been burnt by boy children in a different way that I've been burnt by girl children, but both of them can burn. Right. And I think the most important thing to know is just to find the people who you share values with, who are good people, who don't make you feel small because you're a woman, because you're black, or because you're physically small, you know. Um, and and I don't, I don't want to have to distinguish between boy children and girl children because I think both boy children and girl children can be ugly mm. and mean mm. and hurtful, whether it's mm. physically or emotionally. And so I will tell them to be aware. How are you going to I know? will tell them to be careful. I will tell them to choose the people who make them feel good. How do you how are you gonna navigate gender identity? Do I need to? Yeah, I mean like I know for instance, I picture you because I know you're a girly girl in many respects, mm-hmm. right? Like you you like to pamper yourself, get your nails did, you know, you love clothes, uh you always have hand cream. <laughs> <laughs> These vops. So, um, like, I imagine you to, to, to dress and to, to treat your girl child in a certain way. You know what? I, I feel like I'm such a bossy, controlling person mm. <laughs> that when I have children, I really, really hope not to be. Mm. And so if my kid is like, Mom, I want Doc Martens and leather leggings, that's not what I would choose for them, mm. but I'm going to try as hard as I possibly can to understand their own identity right. and to let them explore that. And if they want to wear caps and, okay, boxer shorts, I think is a bit extreme, but <laughs> if they want to wear slightly tomboyish clothing or they want to act a bit more like a tomboy, I don't think it's within my right to say, no, wear this pretty dress and put a bow in your hair. Right. I don't want to stifle my children's ability to grow and be able to to grow into their own skin and to understand who they are. And boys that want to play with tea sets and Barbies. I'm going to tell them that it's a difficult world out there. It is a difficult world. And if you aren't a child like other children, it's difficult. If you're not a person like other people, it's very difficult so pay with your tea sets and pay with your Barbies, but you must understand that people won't always understand that. Sure. And people might be mean to you because you aren't like them, and it's not because you're a bad person. Yeah. It's because people fear what they don't know. They fear what they can't relate to. Yeah. So people so will be mean. it's almost to equipment, equip, like we were saying earlier on, to equip, equip them with the knowledge but not with the stigma. Exactly. So it might be ugly out there, but honey, if you want to play with tea sets, that's okay. But in terms of dressing my children, I will say, <laughs> being the controlling person I am, 
that I would prefer to choose their clothing up until they're kind of in high school. 15. In high school. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> Everything you just said <laughs> went only, down the trail. Only because I'm controlling. Though. Completely <laughs> lost credibility. No, but not. No time for you. Not, no, not because of gender or not because of anything uh-huh. like that. Just. Because <laughs> you know better. Because I know better. I'm the mummy. Um, okay, and then finally, what would you tell your children ultimately about happiness? That it doesn't come in a pretty box that's handed to you. And that it might not come from the places you think it's going to come from. Hmm. But it's there. It's there. It's also, it's in the smallest things. It's in the moment you're in a bubble bath and you're playing with your ducky and there's foam everywhere. It's in every little moment. I think a lot of the time we all like strive for this this big ultimate happiness that's yeah. going to come at some point in our lives. But there's so many small pleasures. Those slap chips that I ate today, I was happy in that moment. Mm. And there are so many small moments that I have disregarded and I've let kind of fall by the wayside because they weren't the ultimate happiness. And I don't know if I'm just tired of looking for the ultimate happiness, but what I'm trying to do a lot more of is find the small pleasures. Sure. The very small pleasures that come, sometimes they go, sometimes they're not there at all. But if they are there in that moment, happiness doesn't have to be a lifetime. It doesn't have to be an hour. It really can be fleeting. It can be in the moment you walk past a baby in the grocery store and they turn around and you smile at each other. Right. It can be in the tiniest moments when you've been craving custard with sliced peaches. (laughs) (laughs) It can come in those very, very small moments that I think we completely take for granted. Um, And that is what I'm going to tell my children. Homie, that's amazing. I think you're going to make a pretty, pretty dope parent. Um, Yeah. And I think you'll play this back to your kids. And you'll be proud of yourself. I don't know. I'm going to hold you accountable. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're on record now. I am. (laughs) They have somewhere they can go to say, but mom, you said. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to try. If you get this even 90% right, I think you're, you're going to do humanity a service. I mean, I think all I can do is really try. I think life has a way of just throwing you a curveball and, and you can't do all the things you aspire to do necessarily. But I will tell you that when it comes to shaping the life of somebody else, that curveball will have to miss me because I will try everything I can to shape them into the best little people they can be. (laughs) And (laughs) with that, uh, thank you for coming. It's been such a pleasure. Um, do come back more often. And thank you guys as always for listening to the mate sessions on cliffcentral.com. And we will catch you guys later. Cliff Central. The revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.